Before we get into the, the sermon today, I, I want to uh, remind us all that Wednesday is All Saints Day, and uh, it's a beautiful day in the life of the church where we remember the great cloud of witnesses. We, we celebrate the fact that we are a part of a gigantic story, that those who have gone before us, uh, men and women of faith who have gone before us and died, that we are a part of the same story, that, that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And I think that too often, maybe in our world, we uh, focus only on what's temporal and what's here and what's right in front of us. And so Wednesday, the, the first of November, is this beautiful invitation just to look up and look out and to remember. That being said, when we do that, we oftentimes are confronted with loss and grief because it means that people who we love are no longer with us. And I, I believe that all, all Saints is an invitation to both honor and rejoice and to grieve. And if you combine that with the fact that we're about to move into the holiday season and the holidays stir up a lot of pain in a lot of us, um, this Thanksgiving and Christmas come, we oftentimes will um, we'll look at an empty spot at the table and think somebody I love is not here with me. Uh, oftentimes we'll grieve over relationships or dreams that are not what we wish they were or hope they would be. And so we recognize that this is a complicated season, uh, the holiday season. And so on Wednesday, we're going to make particular space to reflect on grief and ask God to meet us in our grief at our worship and prayer service. And I just want to invite you to come. If you've not been to worship and prayer, this is a great one to come, especially if you find yourself holding a little bit of complexity, you know. Uh, this is going to be a space to name that and to ask God to come close to us. And connected to that, on Saturday, we're going to have a grief workshop led by wonderful leaders, thinkers, and experts. Our staff has been privileged to experience some of the goodness of this training, and we're going to be opening that up on Saturday. And so if you are... Um, if you are curious about this, I think you have to register for this one. I'm not 100% sure, but if you do, you'll find it on our website. Uh, this is gonna be, I think, a really, really meaningful time. So um, worship and prayer and this wellness workshop coming up on Saturday. Uh, we hope you'll avail yourself of those things, especially as we enter into um, the season. So if you find yourself carrying things, I believe there's an invitation from the Lord to come and receive some, um, some, some safe space and some instruction on what do we do with the stuff that just burdens us and causes us to feel heaviness. God's going to meet us there, and I believe the Lord's going to be uh, showing us his goodness and his kindness this week. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Matthew 22. We're going to read four short verses, uh, Jesus teaching, and then we're going to pray and then just jump in and try to hear Jesus tell us what's most important in life. When a Pharisee heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to help us to listen to Jesus. We pray, God, that we would give our time and our energy to these words of Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would do something in us. I pray that you would speak to us today through the word about love and about life 
love connected to you, love connected to one another, and love connected to, to us, to ourselves. God, we ask for your help, Lord, to be present here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at these trap conversations where people would come and they would try to catch Jesus in something. They would try to get him to say something or do something that would cause him to fall into controversy or to trouble with Rome or Jewish authorities. And here's another one of those examples. We see a lawyer working with a group of religious leaders to try to trap Jesus. And so they ask him a question. Uh, They say, which is the greatest commandment? And this leads us to the first movement in this passage, which is like really and truly, though this guy was trying to trap Jesus, he asks a really good question. Like if I had been in the crowd that day, just kind of hanging out or doing something, and I had heard somebody say to Jesus, what do you think is most important in all of life, in in all of the law, I probably would have put down what I was doing to think, oh, this would be really interesting to hear what Jesus has to say, because he could have said a lot of stuff. Y'all, in the law of Moses, there are 613 commandments. So like, it's a lot to choose from. There's an expansive body of commandments. And basically, a lawyer with bad motives is asking a fantastic question. He's like, can you just boil it down for us? What is most important? And don't most of us, I mean, if we're honest, we probably spend a lot of our lives like trying to figure out what's most important. <laughs> Uh, I've, I've learned in my own life, the, the older you get, you get out there into that kind of like midpoint part of life. You start to wonder like, am I like, are we on track here? <laughs> like what's most important? Maybe it's not what I thought it was. And so this is a really important question. Like I think you and me, we ought to want to know like what's most important to God. It's instructive to me that when asked about what's most important, Jesus says two things, really two things with a sub point. He says, love God, love others, love yourself. But before we get into the flow of the text, those three movements, I just want to say, God seems to think that commands concerning love are the most important thing. Like he could have said, obey God. He could have said, serve your tail off. He could have said, uh, do all the right things. Um, And yet he says, love. So before we get into those three things, love God, love others, love yourself, because Jesus actually says all three of those in this passage, I think we need to define love. Because we live in a world where I think love has got a bit weird. Um, love does a lot of good stuff for us, right? Like when we love, we feel things. We, we receive a lot when we love, when we love people, when we love a, a job maybe, or we love, um, you know, an institution. We, we feel all kinds of things. And so if we're not careful, we can kind of begin to think like love is, is something that primarily does something to us. And the truth is that love does do things to us. It, love is messy and beautiful and powerful and evocative. And yet, I think if we're going to really get down to what Jesus meant, we need to go back and maybe have a more classic understanding of love. So my parents, when they got married, um, so I'm 48. They were married a few years ahead of me. So I think they're just right right at or over 50 years married. When they were married as hippies in their vows, which they wrote their own vows, which is a big mistake. (laughs) When... when, (laughs) 
before I tell you what they said in their vows, I will tell you this. If, if you want to get married and you come to me and say, we've written our own vows, I will say, that's so sweet. Like you tell each other all that stuff, um, but, but we're going to do the other vows too. <laughs> because a vow is not, I love you so much. You're so special. That should be true if you're going to stand at an altar and get married. A vow is a promise. It's a promise of fidelity. So in that sense, like vows are not sexy. They're like meaningful. My parents said, as long as love shall last at their wedding. <laughs> and they're watching this online, mom, dad. I'm so glad that you renewed your wedding vows many years later. I mean, my parents looked at one another and they're like, hey, we're in this until we're not in this, you know? Um, and that's just the way the world works. It's, if, if I ain't feeling it, then I, ain't, I don't know. Classically, love was defined as desiring the good of another. So the Greeks, and, and, and I believe the devout in, in the world of Jesus, understood love as inherently pulling you out of your own self, out of your own interest, out of your own narcissism, and putting you in a space to where you were desiring the good of another, desiring the good of God, desiring the good of a person around you, desiring even the good, the good path, the shalom path. And good is not always that which feels good. It's not always, or maybe even it's rarely that which is easy. But love is a pretty grown-up idea. And so when, when Jesus says love is most important to God, he's actually using a pretty grown-up line of thinking. He's saying, I want you to love should pull you out of yourself. And the sad reality is that for a lot of us, you know, love or the way we see love defined and the way we even maybe want to experience love is like something that kind of turns us in on ourselves. Love should pull you up and out. And Jesus was really clear about this. And I think that the kind of love that grows us is that kind of love. And so you'll hear sometimes like in wedding ceremonies or in, in, in other spaces where speeches are being given that, that we're meant to love efficaciously. And that's just a really fancy way of saying love in such a way that you improve the object of your love, which is the total opposite of the way that, that things tend to work. Like today, if we were to to define love, like based on the popular culture, we would think of love as something that makes you feel good and you use it up until it's worn out and then you, you move on and you move on and you move on. To love efficaciously is to love in such a way that you enhance or improve the object of your love, which is the actual antithesis of consumeristic love. The kind of love that wants to control and use and, 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 and squeeze everything out of it until it's worth no longer worth something to us, and then we move on. Jesus says, God is deeply curious about and concerned with love. And I just think that we need to think about that. We need to hold that, that God's really, really concerned with love. But he's concerned with a kind of love that's pretty grown up. 
a kind of love that will put you in some awkward places of reflection. And so what I want to do for the next few moments is just listen to Jesus and, and let's listen to Jesus in light of that which almost everyone listening to him would have already understood, which is that love is not inherently like a selfish thing. It's something that pulls you out of yourself. So let's let Jesus tell us something about the spheres of relationship that he names with that in mind. So the next thing he says, love God with your whole life. Like love him with all the parts of you. And I think there's a fundamental invitation here to do what we don't do if left to our own devices. If left to my own devices, I look down and in, I become fixated on me. And the first thing God says is I want you to look up and out. I want you to orient yourself upward. Love God. I want you to experience God. I mean, our first core commitment at this church is to experience the love of God and life in the Holy Spirit. This idea of loving God with our whole life is like really and truly more than just emotion. I think it involves emotions. I think that it involves like the warm, fuzzy feelings. Those are beautiful byproducts of love. Like when we render unto God that which is God's as we looked at last week. But really and truly like loving God is giving him um, ascribing to him that which he deserves. Worship means worthship. It's like to give God, to name the worthiness of God. One of our bishops who we prayed for, Brian, he was recently telling a group of leaders, he said, you know, that, that he felt God prompt him to engage in a 365-day experiment where he would get before God and name something for which he could be and should be grateful. And then he would choose someone during the course of the day and tell someone about that attitude and that posture of gratitude. Loving God is seeing that we must look up and outside of ourselves. I don't think we can be the kinds of people that we really want to be if we only focus on others and self. There's a pulling you and me outside of ourselves. There's an invitation to open ourselves up. And I believe that when we do that, really powerful things happen. I believe that when I place myself under God and I give to God that which is God's, it opens me up to all kinds of other things. And so he says, love God with your whole life. Give him what he deserves. Live outside yourself. And then it's interesting that Jesus says, and the second command is like the first one. So Jesus seems to think that loving others is like loving God. And we'll, we'll name three different, I, you know, I think the New Testament's really uh, concerned with concentric circles. Um, so like Jesus seemed to like concentric circles. So I think he would say this like he has elsewhere around things like evangelism and other things like when we think about loving others so if i look up then the next invitation is for me to look out and then i think when he says look out he invites us intuitively to look at our intimate relationships first our nearby relationships second and our far away relationships third but what happens when we're not clear is it's sometimes easier to think about things really far away, like causes we want to get involved with, things we really want to get worked up over or to be irate about or to really fight for that are really far away because they don't like touch us every single day. They're not where the nitty gritty is, like of the relationships that are like right under my nose. Like sometimes I want to think less about the stuff that's right here because if I can just get about that, I feel like I'm doing something good. 
caring about important things. And I just want you to hear me say, God also cares about those things that are really far away, but he also really cares that we think about what desiring the good of another looks like closer to home. So think about your intimate relationships. This is like a great opportunity for us to do a little bit of an audit, you know, like to think about where we are. Am I desiring the good of those who are really close to me, family and close friends? And then think about your nearby relationships. Those are the people that you like see most of the, you know, most every day, people you work with, people who you're maybe in neighborhood group with, people you run into in your neighborhood. They're like regular, but not as, not, your whole life's not in their hands, but they're pretty, pretty regular. I think sometimes those relationships are easy for us to either hide from or to lose ourselves in. Like just as a, a point of confession, I there was a time where I lost myself in y'all. Like where I was so concerned with trying to like love this place that I was missing something that actually really hurt me. It really wounded my soul because I was looking for something and security in something that I wasn't ever gonna find. And one of the most powerful things that one of my counselors told me is he said, an institution can never love you like you need to be loved. And that was like, oh, even a great institution, it can't give us what we need. So when we look at Jesus, Jesus would go away from people in order to be present with people. There was like a constant flow of retreat and engage and retreat and engage. And he wants us to understand that that's what he wants for us too. So are you loving well? I think this is a real opportunity. In, in many respects, I think Jesus is like actually holding kind of a, a little bit of a mirror in front of us. God is the only one that can give us the basic thing we need in order to look out without losing ourselves or succumbing to fear and scarcity. God first, look up, then look out. And then Jesus says as a sub point, which I just love, I mean, I love Jesus. He's, I, I mean, I love him because of like, you know, the reasons why we're supposed to totally obviously love him. But I also love that like they asked him for one thing and he was like, I've got, two things with a sub point on the second one. Like he's always making it a little bit bigger than what people are asking for because he says a second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so the next thing that I think Jesus is wanting us to consider is like, well, do you believe that? Like, is that, does that sound inappropriate to you? Because a lot of us probably spent some time in religious settings where loving yourself just felt like a really like no, no go, like a non-starter. Like we shouldn't do that. That doesn't feel, that feels dangerous. That feels sketchy. And yet Jesus seems to think that our loving of others is somehow connected to the way that we understand our own value and our own worth and our own dignity. It's like, if I can, like last week at church, you know, we talked about the fingerprints of God on us as image bearers, that we, because we are committed instinctually to justice and beauty and spirituality and relationships, N.T. Wright would say, those are the fingerprints of God on you. You're an image bearer because of that. Now we're not perfect in our commitment to those ideas, but we carry in us the marks of the image of God but so does your enemy. <laughs> so does that person you don't like. 
that spouse you can't get along with, that kid that drives you crazy, that parent who doesn't listen to you, they also carry marks of the image of God. And so I think one of the things Jesus is trying to get us to see is that we're meant to look up and look out, but we're occasionally meant to look in and say, do I see myself as an image bearing child of God? If I can name my own sin, shortcomings, failures, and fragility and say, I'm also deeply loved, then I'm more able to look at someone who is opposing my will and say, they're driving me crazy. And yet I know that they're the beloved of God. And so I've got to, but if I don't believe that about myself, it's going to be really hard for me to extend that grace and dignity to you. So then what do we do? We dehumanize one another so that we can distance from one another. And I've said this, like, I don't sit for caricature artists because they take your worst feature and they blow it up beyond all recognition. And I know that, I know what those things are about me. <laughs> and we do that to one another when we don't honor that image bearing. I can make you less than a real person so that I don't have to deal with you. And we're about to enter a political cycle. And I tell you, it's just going to be hard. It's going to be awful. It's not encouraging. But my prayer for us is that we would love God, love others, and that we would love ourselves appropriately so that we can navigate spaces where relationships just fall apart. There's an invitation here for us. I think there are actually probably a few invitations for us. And my hope is that we will just listen to Jesus and let him challenge us and get into some uncomfortable places and grow less, but that we would be people who are committed to growth less, but that we would be people who are committed to growth. So I'm gonna hold a couple of questions. Let's just put them all up. So normally, um, and I think I've discovered this over time, like when, when COVID happened, we were making videos and we'd never done that before. And so we were ending videos because Ben, our communications director was like, we need to be putting questions in front of people for reflection. And it was so good, it was so helpful. And we carried that into our, like whatever this is, is the post COVID reality. I think half our staff got COVID in the last three weeks. So I'm not sure how post it is, but no one seems to be in terrible trouble, but we've held on to the questions. But I think what I've discovered about my own motivation regarding these questions is I think I just want you to journal. I just, I'm not gonna check your journals. <laughs> God knows I hope no one ever finds mine. I, I have said things in that journal that I'm like, dear Jesus, like it, there needs to be like a delete upon death or something like that. I, oh God have mercy. Um, but I want you to journal because I actually don't think we, so if you're over a certain age, you remember overhead projector slides? You remember those? Acetates, They're, they were amazing. I used to wanna be the acetate changer for a teacher. So insight without internalization is like putting one acetate on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. And after a couple of them, you can't make heads or tails of any of it. All the information's there. You're just not doing anything with it sermons without reflection, podcasts without reflection are like acetates piled up on top of one another. 
So I have begun over the last three years journaling. It's a way for me to carry thinking through to prayer with God. It's a way to like let it get into the groundwater. So I just want you to do that. And so I've decided I'm gonna ask you three questions because you can't do this in two minutes, but you might be able to do some of this this week. In what ways are you currently tending to your love of God? And I think that that's really important. If you can't name stuff, and just to give you like a little pro tip, like I, I have a Google Doc that's just on my phone and on my laptop, and I just like crank it out sometimes when I'm waiting in line for something. I just kind of go to that space and just say some things that I feel like I need to say to the Lord. If you're able, I want us to stand. Ooh, yeah, there's, there's some need for me to move, to grow. Let's just name that before God silently, and then we'll pray together. We'll come to this table. But first, let's be still for a few moments.